got a Bible, uh, open it up to chapter 12 and we'll just look at um, two verses today. <clears throat> okay, hear, hear the word of God. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is God's word. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, can see here that you uh, call us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we ask, Father, that uh, your spirit might do that in us today so that we might know your will. And, Father, that you would give us the grace to be able to put it into practice, uh, that we would be uh, changed by you. Uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd also give us humble hearts to be able to consider our lives in light of this passage and, and, and to see that where, where you're calling us to change, that you would give us uh, the willingness to uh, submit to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Romans uh, is all about the gospel. Okay, The theme of this whole series has been the gospel of God. And that's the theme because that's what Paul says right at the start of the letter. Uh, this is all about the gospel of God. And uh, Romans focuses especially on that, that aspect of the gospel that we just sung about, which is called justification. And justification is just the most incredible thing because it means that when you put your faith in Jesus, all of your sin is credited to Jesus. He died for it on the cross. But that's only part of it. The other part is that the perfect life that Jesus lived, that's credited to you. And so when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous in Christ, fully accepted uh, by him. That's justification. It's to be declared righteous in Christ. And along with justification, Romans tells us that all of the blessings of salvation that were promised to Abraham, they're all yours. And you'll enjoy them for all of eternity. See, that's Romans 1 to 11 all summed up. Then when we get to chapter 12, big turning point. This starts a whole new section in the letter of Romans. And uh, this is the part where, uh, from Romans 12 right to the end, where Paul unpacks how the gospel gives us a whole new way of doing life. So Romans 12 to 16, this is the home run. It's all very practical. Uh, it shows us how the gospel shapes us personally. It shows us how the gospel shapes us as a community, uh, how it shapes the way we interact with the world around us, uh, how we relate to the government, how we relate to those who disagree with us. It shows us how the gospel shapes our mission as a church. So all very practical stuff. But the thing that we must not forget as we complete this letter of the Romans, is that it's all about the gospel, okay? Even though we're talking about very practical 
you know, how to live stuff. It's all about the gospel. And we know that because this passage begins with this important word, therefore. So what Paul is saying after laying out the, the truth of the gospel for 11 chapters, he's now saying, therefore, this is how you live it. This is how you live out the gospel. And today we're just looking at the, the first two verses of chapter 12 because these verses, they give us a wonderful vision of what I'm going to call a gospel-centered life. Okay, what does a gospel-centered life look like? Well, Romans 12 verses 1 to 2 tell us uh, that it's to live out a, a new pattern uh, for a new purpose under a new power. That's what we're looking at today, a new pattern for a new purpose under a new power. So let's look at those three things. So first, uh, the gospel gives us a new pattern to live by. And you can see the pattern in two commands. There's two commands in the, in the passage. There's one in verse 1 uh, that says, offer your or present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then there's another one in verse 2 that says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So what do these two commands mean and, and, and what do they look like in practice? Let's just think about that for a bit. Look at this first command where it says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this shows us that the shape of the Christian life, you know, when Paul thinks about how can I sum up what the Christian life looks like, he takes a concept out of the Old Testament, out of the old covenant temple worship, and he says, Here's a little picture, a snapshot of what all of life for the Christian looks like. See all of the language here, um, you know, uh, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, spiritual worship. This is all language out of the temple, out of the Old Testament, out of this, the act of worship, which uh, back then, you know, they had to sacrifice animals as a, a sin offering. And elsewhere, Paul says that all of the temple worship, all of that is fulfilled by Christ, he's the one sacrifice for our sin. And so all of those Old Testament sacrifices, we don't have to do any of that anymore. Jesus has given the one sacrifice to end all sacrifices. But what Paul does is he takes that act of offering a sacrifice and he says that's actually a picture of what life is like as a Christian, what it looks like to live the Christian life. It's to offer yourself up like an act of worship. Okay, worship, he says, isn't just confined to ceremonies now. It's actually all of life. All of life is an act of worship. All of life is offering yourself up as a sacrifice. And it's interesting <clears throat> because he says that when we offer ourselves as a sacrifice, he calls it a living sacrifice, which is odd because the thing that made a sacrifice a sacrifice in the Old Testament was that it was put to death. And yet Paul is saying here, no, you're to be a living sacrifice. That's getting across the idea that this is something that is ongoing. Okay, It's not something you do once and you go, right, oh, that's done, what next? No, no, this is every day, a continual life of offering yourself up as a living sacrifice to God. In fact, Paul says uh, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that, that would have actually struck Paul's original readers 
because many of them were from a Greek culture. And in that culture, there was this idea that, you know, what you do with your body doesn't really matter. You know, God's only interested in kind of the, the, the intellect, you know, the inner person. Whereas you can live any way you like with your body. God doesn't seem to care. That's, that's how they thought. But Paul is saying, no, no, your bodies, which is a way of saying all of you, the whole of your being. Okay. Yes. The way you think, the way you, you know, your emotions, your values, but also your body, your hands, your feet, what you actually do, all of it offered up to God in service to Him. And so this is getting across the idea that if you belong to Christ, well, that's it. You really belong to Him. You give your life to Him as a sacrifice, which is like saying to God, my life is now yours. Okay, You're in control. You're in charge. You set the agenda. You call the shots. I give myself wholly and unreservedly to you. So what does that look like in practice then? <clears throat> well, it really boils down to two things. Number one, you obey God in everything that he commands. That's what it looks like, even if it's hard. And number two, you accept everything that he brings into your life, even if you don't understand it. You trust him. See that trusting and obeying. And so that, that's the first part of this new pattern. Okay, this is how we're to live. We're to say to God, my life is all yours. I offer it in service to you. <clears throat> now, in order to do that, you've also got to be able to embrace the second command that's in this passage. And that's in verse 2 where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, do you notice the contrast in that, that command there? Don't be conformed, but be transformed. And see, these two words, they're actually different in what they mean. To be conformed, what does that mean? It means to be shaped by what's around you. Okay, does anyone here like playing with Play-Doh? I don't. It makes your hands feel disgusting. But the thing about Play-Doh is you can take it and you can squeeze it into a mould and then it will look exactly like, you know, the pattern of that mould. That's something being conformed. And see, what this passage is saying is that, you know, it says don't be conformed to the world. So that's telling us that the world has a certain pattern, a pattern that everyone conforms to. And it's what it is, it's a pattern of thinking, it's a, a pattern of, of behaving, a pattern of valuing. And that pattern, it, it can take any kind of expression, depending on the culture you're in, but it's always the same pattern. Okay, Everyone in the world, uh, is in, in, in every culture, in every time, is living according to this pattern, conforming to this pattern. Now, what is the pattern? Well, Paul has told us right at the start of Romans, in Romans 1, where he said uh, that, you know, everyone is worshipping and serving something other than the living God. So that's the pattern of the world. Uh, every person in every culture is worshipping and serving something other than the living God, unless, of course, you're saved by Jesus. Now, in our culture, what's, what's the main expression of worshipping and serving something other than God? In our culture, 
It's worshipping materialism, worshipping pleasure, worshipping comfort, uh, sexuality. It's, it's seen in, in our expre- expressive individualism. And so if we're, to, if we're saved by Christ, we're not to conform to that pattern anymore. Uh, one translation, which is more of a paraphrase, it puts it like this, don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. Here's my translation. Don't be a passive lump of Play-Doh. Now, how are you actually going with that? Let's just stop and think about that because that, <laughs> that's what we're confronted with all the time. We're, we're under this pressure to conform. And so how are you going with resisting the pattern of this world that, that just says, just live for here and now? That's all that matters, here and now. How are you going at resisting that? Or are you, being, are you being conformed to our culture's pursuit of pleasure? Isn't that what every advertisement is saying to you, that life is all about pleasure, that that's why you exist? How are you going at resisting that? Or what about our culture's pattern for sexuality? Are you conforming to that? See, just on that, I remember once reading an article that uh, reported some stats, some statistics about porn use, which suggested that professing Christians and non-Christians, sometimes there's not a huge amount of difference with uh, porn use, which makes you think, well, what's going on? Conforming to a pattern. Well, what about at work? Are you just going along with the pattern of what everyone else does? You know, that constant undermining of one another, the gossip, the, the slacking off. See, the pattern of the world, it's in everything, in everything we encounter, through every media that we consume. There's a pattern, the pattern of the world. And if you're saved by Christ, you are to, to resist that. You're not to conform. Uh, you're to be a, a non-conformist of a different kind. And that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. To be a living sacrifice means don't be conformed to the world. No, no, because you belong to God. You've offered your life up to him. To do that, you have to resist the pressure to conform to the world. And you to do that, how? By being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, to be transformed, remember that's that's different to being conformed. To be conformed is to, to be shaped by what's around you, you know, like Plato being shaped into a, the pattern of the mould. But to be transformed is different. To be transformed actually means to be changed from within, to become something different. So if we're to use the Plato illustration again, if Plato is transformed, what happens to it? It becomes a different substance. It actually becomes something Beautiful, <laughs> something like gold. Okay, imagine the lump of Plato turning into gold. That's a transformation. It doesn't happen, I know, but that's if you could imagine, it's a transformation. And that's what's to be happening uh, happening to us, though. We're not conforming to the pattern of the world, but we're being transformed. We're becoming something different, something new, something glorious, something that reflects the very character of God Himself. That's what's to be taking place in our lives. And that, that shows us that when it comes to what does it look like to live as a Christian, it's, it's more than just conforming to a list of activities. Now, it is easy to, to mistakenly think that to be a Christian is just to 
keep a set a certain set of rules, you know, or a list of activities that I do, and then and that makes me a Christian. You know, someone could be thinking, well, you know, I go to church each Sunday, or I, uh, you know, I take the Lord's Supper. We're going to do that today. Um, you know, I do these activities, and that's what makes me a Christian. While inwardly, I'm still being conformed to the world, still just living according to the idols of our culture, still living in the grip of sin. See, this verse, it's saying that that being a Christian, it's not just a list of activities. It's actually a change, inner change, a transformation where you love God and serve him from the heart. And how does that transformation happen? Well, the verse says it's through the renewal of your mind. And Paul doesn't unpack all that that means just in this verse, but we know from everything else he says in his letters that if you're renewed in your mind, it can only happen one way. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit as he uses the word of God to transform you, okay, to reshape the way you think, to, to reshape the things that you love, to reshape the way you see the world and, and what you think your life is all about. See, the Holy Spirit uses God's word to reshape all of that. And that's how you change. It's an inside-out change. And just one other thing to notice about this. Notice how you can, you can either be conformed to the world or you can be transformed from within. And they're both things that can happen to you if you let them. Okay, both of these commands, they're, sorry for a grammar lesson, but they're, they're both passive verbs, which means it's something done to you if you let it. And so what this verse is saying is you're either allowing yourself to be conformed to the pattern of the world or you're allowing yourself to be transformed by a renewed mind. And it really depends on what input is going into your life. Okay, What are you opening your life up to? What information is going in? Uh, What are you watching? What are you consuming? What are you listening to? What are the influences in your life? And see, that's a very relevant question for us today because we live in the age of information. You know, we're constantly consuming information. It's constantly coming at us. We're in it all the time. And so there's a lot going in. And everything that's going in has a set of values attached to it. So there's nothing neutral. But here's the thing. Out of all of the information that's going in, there's only one that can actually renew you. There's only one that can actually restore life. There's only one that can actually make your life beautiful, and that is the Word of God. And that's why there's no other way to grow as a Christian. There's no other way to to practice the Christian life other than being in the Word of God. You know, which the fact that you're here today means that you're on the right step. See, the Word of God, this is why we're here. But this is how God renews our minds. That's, this is how he transforms us. It's how we avoid conformity to the pattern of the world. And that by doing that, then we can offer ourselves wholly to God to serve him. That's the pattern of the Christian life. Now, second, though, not only is there a new pattern to live by, but there's also a new purpose in it. Okay, because if we, you know, we can talk about 
living God's way, offering our lives to God's service. But in the end, what is all that for? Like, what is the aim of all that? What are we trying to achieve in living God's way? And this might sound like a really crazy question, but we need to think it through. So what is the purpose of living out this new pattern? Well, the verse tells us, uh, if you look at verse 1 again, it says we're to present our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable to God. And then in verse 2, when it talks about our minds being renewed, it says at the end of verse 2 that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so these two verses, they're laying out a purpose for our existence. And the purpose is actually to be holy, to be acceptable to God, which is another way of saying to be pleasing to God. That's why we do all this stuff, because we want to please God. Now, that might sound like a very obvious thing to say. You know, if we've been saved, <laughs> we're saved so that we can live in a way that pleases God. But it's amazing how many Christians struggle with this, struggle with this idea of pleasing God, because, uh, you know, we, we know that while we're still in these bodies, while we're still waiting for Jesus to come again and, or until we die and, you know, to be changed, we still struggle with sin. And so there's still this sense of, you know, we're failing God still. You know, we, we still do things that we know grieves his spirit. And uh, we know in the Bible it says, um, you know, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Uh, we feel the weakness of our own character. We can see all the flaws. And so there can be this sense that, you know, no matter what I do, it just feels like it's never good enough. And so there can be a sense of being defeated, as if God must be always just looking at us with this look of disappointment on his face, thinking, you know, what is wrong with you? But that's not what verse 1 is talking about. Verse 1 says, no, we can actually offer ourselves to God wholly and acceptable, which means that we can please God. Okay, We can bring pleasure to him. Now, we need to be very clear that I'm not talking about earning God's favour. I'm not talking about, you know, if we do good enough good works that God's going to go, okay, now I accept you because you worked so hard. That's not what it's talking about. You know, Romans 3 was all about that. We can't earn God's acceptance. Only Christ can do that for us, and he has, by paying for all of our sin at the cross and, and then giving his perfect life to us as our record. That's, that's how God accepts us. And, and nothing we do in life can add to that. You know, we can't add anything else to the record of Jesus. It's already perfect. But here's the thing. If we're already accepted in Christ, we now have this relationship with God where we can now live to please him. Uh, doesn't mean we'll do it perfectly. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about living in a way that we can actually please God. And a good way to think about it, actually, is from the perspective of our adoption. See, when we trust in Christ, we not only receive justification, which is to be declared righteous, but we also receive adoption. God, God actually adopts us as his own children. And when you think about the relationship of a father to a son or a parent to a child, 
What is that relationship like? Now, for example, let's say you've got little kids and one day uh, one of them just decides to surprise you by making you lunch and they, they bring it in. Now, are you going to look at that and go and just discard it saying, that's hopeless, it's not up to the level of a professional chef? Of course not. Or let's say, you know, little children, they, they think, um, I'll clean up the whole house without even being asked. I mean, that would be a miracle, but um, let's say they did it. And then they say, come and see what I did. Now, you're not going to go around looking and say, well, you know, that's not up to my standard. I can do better than that. Of course not. What are you going to say? You're going to say, well done. It is fantastic. You know, the meal comes. It's not perfect, but it's wonderful. You love it. You're so thankful. And see, if God is our Father, if we're in this relationship with him, you know, because Christ has secured this relationship, then everything we do for him by faith, everything we do in obedience, surely God looks at that and he doesn't go, that's hopeless. Surely he says, well done. It's wonderful. See, this is, this is exciting. We can actually enjoy a relationship with God. We can know his favour. In fact, if we turn it around, one of the things I have noticed about having um, younger children, I mean, they're getting a bit older now, but uh, one of the things I notice is that little children do actually get a real kick out of um, pleasing their parents, you know, doing things for them. You know, you say they do something, there's always this, like, expectation. You know, what do you think? <laughs> they're, they're waiting to hear, well done. Now, they're not doing that because they feel they need to earn that acceptance. They're not doing it because they feel like if they don't hear well done, then they're going to be out on the street tomorrow. There's no fear of, of that kind of rejection. And it's like that with God. We're not trying to serve him because we think, boy, if I don't live up tomorrow, he's going to say, you're outside of the kingdom. No, no, we know we're secure in Christ. But there is this sense of we love God because of all that he's done for us. You know, we, we love to serve him, just like a little child wanting to please their parent, wanting to hear that well done. That's what's at the very heart of a true child of God. Okay, can you see that in your life? Can you see that, that, that inner desire, I want to please my Father. I want to do what he says because I love him. Why? Because he loves me. Do you have that in your life? Because that, that is the purpose for which Christ has saved you. <clears throat> That's the purpose of this whole new pattern. I offer my life to God wholeheartedly and unreservedly. Why? Because I want to please him. What greater purpose could there be for your life than to bring pleasure to the God who made you and saved you? Okay, so we've seen the pattern. We've talked about the purpose. But the third thing we see in this passage is that there is a new power to live by. And we need power to do this. Because in a lot of cases, it's hard. You know, fighting against our own sin nature is, there's a war going on. It's, it's tricky. And so we actually need, we need motivation. We need sustaining power to do it. And what is the power to do it? Well, if you look back at verse 1 again, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, uh, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, do you see what the motivation is? What's the motivation to offer our bodies as living sacrifice? 
the mercies of God. And what are the mercies of God? Well, Paul has spoken about them for 11 chapters. That's what Romans 1 to 11 is all about. God's mercy, that he he has saved us in Christ. You know, eternal salvation is a gift of grace given to everyone who believes. That's God's mercy. Do you know why it's mercy? Because we deserve none of it. Mercy means getting something you don't deserve. What did we deserve from God? Well, according to the first three chapters, we deserved eternal punishment. We deserve to be cast into hell for all of eternity. That's what our sin deserved. And yet what did God do? He sent his only son who went to that cross, took our punishment on himself, paid for all of our sin. So Jesus got our justice. Why? So we can get God's mercy. And when you know God has done that for you, that changes everything. That's the motivation to live for him. <clears throat> That's why Paul says, you know, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to offer your body. See, it's by God's mercy that we can live for him. That's the underlying motivation. That's, that's the only thing that can empower your life to truly live for God unreservedly, holding nothing back. And that is a powerful motivation. I mean, you can see how powerful it is when you just compare it to other motivations that we might use. Like, for example, let's say your motivation to live a good life is what other people think about you. That doesn't work because what happens when no one's watching? Just live however you like. And if your main motivation of of living a good life is just what people think about you, then you're actually going to be worried all the time. Life's going to be full of anxiety because you're always worrying what people think of you. Or another motivation some people have to live for God is the fear of punishment. They're worried that if if I don't do enough, God will reject me. But remember, that's a rejection of the gospel. That's not what Romans is about. God has saved you by Christ. And so that that motivation doesn't work anyway. We need something more powerful than what others think of us. We need something far more powerful than fear of rejection. And that's what we get in the gospel. Because in the gospel we get the mercy of God, that he sent his son to die for you so that you can now live for him. So if you think about it, in this passage, God is calling us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. But what did Jesus do for us? Did he offer himself as a living sacrifice? No, he offered himself as a dying sacrifice. He gave himself wholly on that cross for us. And if you know that he did that for you, then you can offer your life wholly to him. In fact, the last thing I want to point out here is this is what Paul means when he says this is your spiritual worship. Okay, here's spiritual worship. And that word spiritual, it's actually a hard word to translate because if you looked at it in the original language, it's actually the word logical. This is your logical worship. And some translations translate it as uh, this is your reasonable service. Okay, if Jesus gave himself wholly for you, then what's the most reasonable thing to do? Give yourself wholly to him out of gratitude. That's how it works. And that's the motivation. That's what will actually change you. It's the mercies of God. And so at the very heart, what does it look like to be a Christian? What is the very heart of it? 
It's this gospel, this good news of what Christ did for you. Keep that in view and your life will change. Okay, lose sight of that and you'll fall apart. It's only by the mercy of God that you can do this, only by thinking about what Christ has done for you. That's what will move you. That's what will keep you going of continually offering yourself up as a living sacrifice to God. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for the the incredible mercy that you have shown to us, that even though we deserve to be punished forever, that Jesus took that on, on himself and bore the punishment that we should have had. We thank you that because of that we can be reconciled to you, that we can now have this relationship with you like, like children to a father. And we thank you, Lord, that your love for us is secure, that you will never uh, cast us out of the family. And so we pray, Father, that in, in knowing all of that and thinking about that every day, that, that we will offer our lives to you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that in, in all of the pressure that we face to uh, conform to this world, that you would give us uh, the ability to discern what is true and what is false, uh, that you would help us to be able to see the difference between the path of wisdom and the path of folly, uh, that you would help us, Father, to uh, meditate on your word so that we we know where it is to, to go in step uh, with the wicked. Uh, but rather, we want to be like that, that tree planted by streams of water that's fruitful for you. So, Father, we ask that your spirit would continue to transform us to that end, uh, that you might receive all the glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.